Welcome to the Insurance Talent Podcast, featuring insights and discussion on key talent and leadership topics in an evolving marketplace. Hello, and welcome to the Insurance Talent Podcast. I'm Greg Jacobson, your podcast host and co-CEO of the Jacobson Group. In this episode, we are talking with two esteemed leaders, Donna Zarconi, who is currently serving on the boards of Cigna, CDW, the Duchess Wah Group, and Quinix, and Dave Michelson, who has served on the boards of FedNet and Protective Insurance, and is an advisor to a number of cutting-edge digital companies. These individuals possess vast corporate experience and recently sat down with me to share how insurance executives can most effectively prepare for a board seat. I'm here with Donna Zarconi and Dave Michelson. Uh, thank you both for joining me today. Um, in today's conversation, we'll focus on how executives can best prepare for board service. Our guests have extensive experience both as CEOs and in uh, director's roles. Donna, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and the boards that you've served on? Sure, Greg, thanks. And thanks for inviting me to be here today. I'm delighted to join Dave in this conversation. So my background is I came up through the CFO path, um, CPA and MBA, and I was involved um, after being in public accounting, I got involved with um, startups. And the first startup we sold to Chrysler Financial, it was a technology leasing company. Um, the second startup I went to then was um, in financial services and we ended up selling it to Harley Davidson. And that led to my role as president at Harley Davidson Financial Services. And in addition to that, um, as I grew in that role at Harley-Davidson Financial Services, I also was approached for my first board, which was Cigna, subsequently added uh, several other boards. Currently, I serve uh, still on Cigna, uh, also on CDW, the Duchessois Group and Quinox. Um, and I had two prior roles um, on the Jones Group and Wrightwood Capital. Great. Thank you, Donna. Dave, uh, can you share a little bit about your background? Sure can, and likewise, thank you for inviting me and uh, also look forward to enjoying the conversation. So uh, I started on in accounting. I thought I wanted to work for a big eight firm for my entire career. So uh, I uh, had a choice between Ernst & Winnie back in the day and this little insurance company in Mayfield Village, Ohio called Progressive. And I decided to go with Progressive, just like the culture, still as an accountant, but after uh, nine months as an accountant there, I got an offer to move into product management. So it was a really attractive P&L job and really got me thirsty for generating the results rather than accounting for the results, even though my accounting background has served me well throughout my entire career. So was at Progressive for a few years and then went to a smaller family run operation um, in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. And they were subsequently bought up by a, a New York Stock Exchange a company called Torchmark uh, based in Birmingham, Alabama, but uh, moved my family from initially Ohio to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Birmingham and was with them for about 10 years. Uh, and then I got an offer to join this uh, really small startup uh, back in Cleveland where my family was and my wife's family was called National Interstate uh, in 1992. The company was formed in 89 uh, by a former executive from Progressive, ironically enough. And, uh, and I joined as around the 20th employee with $9 million in sales. So it was quite uh, early stage and, uh, and stayed with National Interstate really for the most of the rest of those uh, next 24 years out through 2016. And, uh, and 
Uh, we went public in 2005. Uh, and then uh, our chairman, uh, after the IPO, decided that he'd like to uh, retire early and he moved me into the CEO role. So I succeeded the founder uh, in January of 2008 and, uh, and ran that publicly traded company on NASDAQ through 2016. Um, interesting, they were, a, they were majority owned by American Financial Group, about 51, 52%, virtually the entire time. But we ran autonomously. They viewed us as an investment, still have great friendships at, at AFG and former AFG people. But uh, it was a really wonderful ride and uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, serving as president and CEO there. But decided to, uh, to retire and readjust the priorities and not set a five o'clock an alarm. So uh, retired in 2016 and was an advisor there for a couple of years. And then in 2018, when that advisor role ended, uh, I actually joined my first public company board other than the National Interstate Board, which I was on for a number of years. Uh, and that was protective. The old Baldwin and Lyons out of Carmel, Indiana, and uh, was on that board for three years. <clears throat> Again, ironically, until they were sold to Progressive uh, in the middle of 2021. So uh, Progressive a few times uh, in, in my life here. Um, also um, serve currently uh, on the FedNAT board, FedNAT Holdings down in Sunrise, Florida, a specialty uh, homeowners um, insurance carrier uh, doing uh, homeowners business, mostly in Florida, in the southeastern U.S., mostly in Florida. So that's my one current uh, public company board today, two prior ones. And then what I've really enjoyed the last number of years uh, is getting involved with the uh, InsureTech craze. Uh, technology is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the financial services industry and insurance in general. And so I currently am an advisor on, on four different uh, insure techs. And so that's got me from graduate from, from college to today, Greg. Thank you both. Thank you both for sharing uh, that the details on your background. I'm curious, actually, the, the first thing that I, I noticed is that both of you have a significant experience with startups and uh, an accounting foundation. Just curious, how important do you think both of those things are to having prepared you uh, for board work, Donna? So I, I think that there, it was interesting, I, I picked up that theme as well. Um, and I think there's, uh, think about the, the qualities to be effective in a boardroom. Um, one is being a lifelong learner uh, and being intellectually curious because then you stay current on important topics that are gonna be key topics in the boardroom discussion, um, such as technology. Um, I think the second is when you have a variety of experience, it gives you the confidence to engage effectively at the board level um, and come with a point of view. Um, but also with, um, with startups, there's the humility that everything doesn't go perfectly right. Uh, and so you're humble enough in the boardroom to listen and learn. Um, and then, you know, and share the space in the room with others who have a, a point of view. So fit is important. And then I think um, what you heard from my discussion and also from Dave's is a real passion and interest in the industry uh, and hopefully in the company for which you serve, because that's how you're going to add value and provide an outside in view. That's excellent. Dave, what are your thoughts on that, the foundational experience of startups and, um, and accounting, but then more broadly uh, talking about some of the 
uh, qualities that you think are required of an effective board member? Yeah, I, I think the account, accounting foundation is, is just an outstanding one to have when you consider that you're really in the business as a, uh, as a board member to try to assist management and other board members uh, generating uh, an, an appropriate return for shareholders, right? And so you really need to understand the ins and outs of that and what, what are the levers to pull relative to generating uh, those returns and what are the risks and rewards when you pull those levers? So I, I do think the Accounting Foundation has helped me a lot. Uh, I really think it's quite beneficial uh, to have that knowledge. Um, you think about getting into possible mergers and acquisition situations and, and getting into a lot of pro forma analysis, looking at um, you know, what the company looks like before, what the company looks like after, what it looks like merged. Um, you know, all, all of that really is driven off of that Accounting Foundation. So I, I do think that's very helpful. Um, I, I think Don alluded this, um, the passion. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us, you know, in the board service work, we don't do it for the money. I mean, there's a market for it, you get paid for it, but it really is not what drives any of us, you know, to do this. Uh, you wanna have the passion uh, and the energy and devote the time. And I have found that it is not just showing up for quarterly board meetings and looking over a board packet the day in advance and kind of rubber stamping, you know, what is being presented, uh, you know, it's far from that, you know, even in the, 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 the most well-run companies with no surprises, there's still work to be done at the committee level, um, driving strategic initiatives, et cetera. But if you think that your board work is gonna be simply quarterly board meetings, uh, while that could occur on occasion, uh, I think that would be the exception rather than the rule. So make sure you have the bandwidth to devote the time along with that energy and passion. Uh, also, I think, you know, listening clearly more than speaking, you know, I know as, as a CEO, you know, it's, it's easy to speak because they have to listen to you. It's not optional, but the listening part, um, you know, that, that takes some, some discipline. And I think listening is a really key skill uh, to be on, uh, you know, on a board and understand the business um, you know, at a granular level to the extent that you, that you can will help you with you know, contributing uh, on you know, strategic initiatives and decisions. And I think finally, and this is out of personal experience, um, especially when you've come from the CEO role like, like Donna and myself, you need to stay in your lane. In other words, we've already been CEOs. You know, that, that's kind of like in the rear view mirror. And, and you really need to respect that there is a current CEO, there is only one of them, and, and you serve in a advisory and counseling, you know, type of a role, you know, you're not the person in charge. So you want to try to assist and guide and nurture as best you can. But, you know, the CEO is the CEO and respect that lane. Yeah, that's, ex that's excellent. Um, let me ask both of you, maybe we can start with uh, Dave. Um, in the last two and a half years, uh, what has anything changed in uh, in the boardroom from your experience, uh, given what's you know given the pandemic and our move towards remote, probably a lot of remote meetings more so than uh, in person meetings? Well, clearly, I've uh, I, I've not stretched, I've not had to exercise all of my wardrobe um, with all of all of the Zoom meetings. Um, it's it's been interesting not to have the travel, but on the other hand. You know, you miss the camaraderie, you miss the face to face. And I do think that 
years down the road when we study this Zoom era and virtual meeting era, um, some of the negatives will come through. Clearly, flexibility of schedule is, is, is a positive, but I think the collaboration and camaraderie and building and strengthening relationships uh, is something that you really have to work on more, you know, in a virtual setting versus being able to be, you know, around a table or out, out for a dinner or whatever. But the other trends that I've seen, um, you know, the environmental social governance issues that are, you know, on the top of everybody's list, you know, not all industries have all of them, but, uh, you know, governance in particular, uh, you know, gets a, gets a lot of focus and obviously social with the, the human interaction and the engagement and, you know, safe workplaces and, you know, protecting, you know, your employees from COVID and being respectful of them and, and handing out a helping hand when they, when they do, you know, get it. Um, you know, so ESG is, is, is definitely, you know, getting a lot more attention. One that I didn't realize how much the focus was growing, but it's important, uh, is human capital management. And it's not just executive comp plans. I mean, er everyone's got their executive comp plans and you work on design and try to make sure that you're aligning management's interests with shareholders, but it's also about the board, you know, and, and the human capital management committees, the compensation committees are getting more involved with what's the culture? What's the succession planning? Where are our talent gaps? Um, more than just letting management figure it out on their own, there's a lot of resources in the room from board members that can help. Uh, so more discussion on human capital management in the board is definitely there. And the third one I've seen is uh, a lot more work at the audit committee. The degree of review by accounting firms today versus years ago, and, 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 and Donna's the CPA in the room, I'm, I'm not, I'm sure she can speak to this in, in some detail, uh, more, more accounting firm diligence, uh, more costs also uh, relative to that. So that, that's what I would say relative to you know, what's, what's going on in terms of recent trends. Donna, you, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as well. Uh, yeah, I would say in the last two and a half years, uh, primarily we think about COVID and its impacts, but uh, in, um, when I reflect on it, I have a laundry list of things that have come before the board, including geopolitical issues, social issues, climate issues, um, the fact that inflation is soaring and what does that do to capital investments, um, supply chain disruption, and what is that doing in terms of our customers and our ability to be able to continue to grow, the human capital challenges that were already discussed. And then we're talking about the positives of tech and innovation, um, particularly things that we've seen just through this last couple of years. I think about telemedicine and the impact that that's made but also the negative of the cyber threats and how that landscape is ever increasing. And so the risks are higher. And you layer on top of all that, increased investor um, pressure um, for performance, increased activist threats um, with you know, very specific agendas, and then also special interest demands. So it's the conversation that's happening in the boardroom um, is, is a very interesting conversation right now. And I think understanding the role of the board is oversight and guidance, but not management, as Dave very appropriately um, discussed earlier, um, is real important to, to say, how can you help? How can you support? How can you provide the oversight that will lead to the creation of long-term value um, with all this um, increasingly challenging uh, landscape? That's excellent. Um, obviously, there's a lot, a lot going on and there's ramifications 
um, based on uh, at, in the boardroom that we don't even you know see on a regular basis. So um, thank you both for sharing that. Let me let me move a transition to a, a different topic, uh, the topic of um, how professionals uh, can start setting themselves up to be desirable for board seats. Um, even earlier in, the, in their careers, what steps do you think that uh, executives should take to move towards, uh, you know, a second career of board service? Uh, Donna? So I think some of the, uh, first off, understanding the role of the board uh, and preparing for that. Uh, having experience serving on a board uh, helps, and, and not necessarily a corporate board, but it helps to understand how to make that transition to a corporate board role. So my recommendations and my own personal experience was I got involved with industry boards, trade association boards. Um, I was very involved over the years with nonprofit boards um, and even in some cases, some um, statutory internal boards. And by having all those uh, experiences along the way, uh, it, it well prepared me to be able to walk into a corporate boardroom. It's interesting, Donna, just a, a follow up on that. It sounds like you were very intentional about the things that you thought of in order to prepare for this part of your career. Is that is that accurate? I would say no. Ah, okay. You just... <laughs> it, was more, it was more serendipity um, because I wasn't focused on uh, really becoming a corporate board member. What I was focused on was how to do my job really well. Uh, and, and how did I continue to learn and have a, a um, perspective that was an outside in point of view. And I found that by, um, by engaging in other activities, uh, whether it was industry or as I said, or um, it was nonprofit, it helped me take a different perspective when, uh, when I was thinking about some of the challenges I was facing in my own business. Hmm. That's excellent. Dave, what are your thoughts in terms of how um, executives can set themselves up for, uh, you know, a, a board service? Well, I had to smile when Donna said that her her path was unintentional, because mine was as well. Um, every everything I did was really to um, help guide my career and create opportunities, you know, down the road in my career. And I only learned really towards the end of my full time employment era that my background and skills would be marketable in a, in a board setting. I had done some nonprofit work and it's always great to, to be in those settings and collaborate with different stakeholders. And I think that did help me as well. But you know, pursuing my MBA, not right out of undergrad, but when I was you know, in my mid thirties with a son in traveling soccer and working 70 hours a week and two girls in diapers and you know, just studying for my MBA you know, in hotel rooms in between soccer matches, you know, and making those kinds of sacrifices and having a wife that would support me in those endeavors too was, uh, was very important in terms of me being more marketable, quite honestly, for my CEO role, having that MBA, which then allowed me to um, you know, pursue other things. I think the commitment to the industry and industry designations um, you know, show, shows well for sure and shows that interest you know, in uh, and being a student of the industry. And I think if you if you conclude later on that you know board roles are something you might want to pursue, then think about the areas where maybe you're not currently strong, and dig into those areas. Read, ask whether it's cyber or M and A or human capital management or developing a, a stronger acumen for interpreting financials. You know, get out of your comfort zone because 
the board will immediately get you into uncomfortable zones. It's guaranteed. It's going to go all, all over the place. So broaden your, your knowledge base and, uh, and get out of what you're, you know, just is comfortable for you. And that will serve you well uh, when board opportunities do present themselves. You know, one of the questions that I get on a regular basis is, um, you know, how can I uh, be considered for opportunities? And I think as in the, being in the executive search business, I think a lot of times people think that the, the only way you get opportunities is to know a recruiter that's in the business or something that's focused on board searches. Um, I, uh, I suspect that that's not the case. And so I'd be curious from both of you as to what your thoughts are um, in regard to the role of networking in general, uh, in, you know, towards obtaining a board seat versus uh, going through search firms. Um, Donna, do you have thoughts on that? So uh, I, I think that uh, your insights are very good, Greg, because uh, all of my board roles, while technically they came from an executive search firm, um, came because someone suggested that they put my name on um, in, in for consideration. Um, and some of them didn't even come from executive search. They came from uh, relationships from those other boards that I had told you about, uh, came from nonprofit boards, came from uh, trade association boards that um, I, I developed relationships. And in developing those relationships and serving in those types of uh, board roles, it could, uh, it was easy for them to make the leap to say, yeah, you, you could serve well on a corporate board. Dave, uh, thoughts on how you've, or maybe share some of your experiences on how you've uh, gotten on some of the boards that you have. Well, in terms of the, the networking, I mean, first of all, it's stating the obvious, but there really are a limited number of board seats that become available in any given year. It is not a huge universe of opportunities. Um, you know, many board members stay on boards for a good number of years, um, and then there are a number of initiatives, and appropriately so, to fill open board seats. Um, so there's just not a lot out there. Um, it takes a lot of at bats sometimes, you know, to land the one. And I would also say that uh, it takes a lot of patience. If you think you've got the bandwidth to do more, just because you believe you've got the bandwidth doesn't mean one's going to be dropped in your lap. I mean, it, 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 I agree with the networking for sure. My opportunities have come not through the traditional you know, executive recruiter route, although there are you know, a few that I stay in touch with. Of course, Greg, you're one of them, um, where if opportunities are out there, um, yeah, then I'll hear about them. So I've got some strong relationships established, but not with 20 or 30 re executive recruiters, with a few that I consider friends that will think of me and maybe even think outside the box when there's something that doesn't exactly match up with what I've done historically, but they know my skill sets are transferable to different parts of the industry or even different industries. I think that's important when you've been in executive roles like Don and myself is that we oftentimes get pigeonholed into, oh, we, we worked in this industry, therefore the only opportunities will come from that industry. Uh, and, and that isn't necessarily the case. Um, our our skill sets definitely can transfer over if we're thought about uh, in that way. LinkedIn is, is obviously a, a platform that allows for, for networking as well. But, you know, most of my at-bats have come from just people I know that know I have an interest in board service. They know what I'm looking for in terms of the type of organization. And they'll give me a call before they put my, uh, you know, my, my name in the hat. You know, uh, Greg, another um, area, and Dave, I'd be interested to hear your point of view too, um, 
is uh, I've been approached after I've done speaking engagements where I've been on a panel and I've talked about cybersecurity oversight, for instance, um, or you know, where are we headed with ESG. So I think being a subject matter expert, uh, being putting yourself out there uh, and in terms of uh, having those conversations can also be um, helpful in the path. I, I agree with that, Donna. After a couple different podcasts that I've done, you know, the, the, the inbound has, 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 has picked up and I know it's directly related to the fact that they listen to the podcast and that's, that's very true. Speaking engagements and podcasts definitely can open some doors. From my uh, personal experience, often when an executive is asked to be on the board, they're, you know, they're excited, they're honored, but they don't spend a lot of time considering whether the particular board that they're being asked to join is the right one for them. What are your thoughts on matching your skills and interests to the right board? Um, Dave, you want to start? Yeah, that's, it's really interesting because, you know, for those of us that are interested in board service and the opportunities aren't flowing in like every hour, every day, the inclination is when something comes in, you just want to jump on it. The enthusiasm's there. And that's really the last thing you should do. There's so much information out there about companies in terms of their culture, their values, their history. If they've had prior litigation, if they've got current litigation, what M&A have they done? Um, there's so much out there that you really should do a little homework on first and learn as much as you can before just leaping at the, at the inbound because you might sense something, see something in that your diligence that tells you this could be a really, really good fit. On the other hand, it might tell you, you know what, I think I'm just going to say thanks, but no thanks and pass on this one for whatever reason or reasons uh, that you come up with. Um, I look at board composition. You know, who's, who's on the board? What are the skill sets? Are there people on, if it is insur insurance board, are there people on the board from the insurance industry or is it a lot of private equity investors and other financial people and legal people, et cetera? So are my skill sets uh, gonna be in demand or am I gonna be one of three or four or five with similar backgrounds? Um, so I, I think that's probably, you know, what I think about when the, you know, when, when, when the inbounds come in. Yeah, and I'll add to that. Um, I think uh, when, I, when I talk to others and advise them about thinking about their first board, um, there's, there's three pieces that I always add. Uh, one is, um, do you believe in the integrity of the CEO? Because you, in essence, are putting your reputation into her or his hands. Um, are you truly interested in the business? And um, so much so that you may have to read 500 pages to prep for a special meeting over a weekend and that you'll willingly do it. Or you might have to have 20 calls in a month and a half because you're working on an M&A deal and you're willingly going to make that work on your calendar. Uh, and then third is the, the culture of the board room itself. Is it a board uh, room that is a high functioning work group? Is it collaborative? Or is it very much of a political environment? And what environment do you really want to find yourself in? And where can you thrive? That's excellent. All right, let me ask you both one last question. What is the greatest value that you've personally gained uh, from uh, board service? Donna, would you like to start? Serving on boards has made me a better CEO. Uh, it has definitely helped me have a better relationship with my own boards. Um, and it has made me a better board member because I have the ability now to connect the dots. 
Um, and I think when you're seeing a trend happening in one organization, it definitely, you're gonna see it happen in another organization. So being able to bring that insight. Uh, the other piece I would say is uh, learning to lead by influence uh, because that's truly how you're effective as a board member. That's excellent. Dave? Well, I say, first of all, and I've, I've made a number of wonderful friendships uh, through board service uh, with people that I might not have, never have crossed paths with, and now they are dear friends, and we touch base all the time, and, and that just gives me, you know, personal satisfaction, especially in this COVID era of, of isolation, to have a broader network of people that you can reach out to and just talk about whatever it might be, board work, sports, family, et cetera. Um, but I think in addition to that, the value that uh, I've picked up on in my board service is, you know, better director, sure, better person. Um, but, you know, the influence management aspects that Don alluded to is so important because again, you're not the boss. You know, you're in the influence management business and the listening business. So clearly, you know, heightening that skill uh, is, is exceedingly helpful. And then what I really get a charge out of is looking at complex situations that just aren't like plug it in and it's gonna work and figuring it out with the board members and management and coming up with optimal recommendations and solutions that really drive shareholder value while also engaging with the employees. Again, there's multiple stakeholders in every equation uh, and I really appreciate and always did appreciate my fellow employees when I was leading an organization. But the so the, the human aspect of it, and then just the driving, you know, shareholder value through collaboration and strategizing. That's great. Hey, both of you, I want to thank you so much uh, for this really insightful uh, conversation. Um, I think this has been terrific and will be very valuable for the listeners. I appreciate you both being here, and um, I know that your that our listeners will appreciate it as well. So thank you both. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Insurance Talent Podcast. Subscribe to receive new episodes as they become available.